good morning, Rudy. So glad you joined us this morning. I'm excited to teach. Got some interesting stuff. People ask me questions about these topics all the time, and I'm happy to share with you from the Word of God some things that God has shown me. And they even changed my opinion on some things. It's amazing how we can hold positions all of our lives. And then when we really look at Scripture, we realize that maybe the position we we're holding was something we had been taught without really studying. And when we study the Word of God, that's the wonderful thing about it. It changes us. And sometimes I've had to admit, hey, my position on this thing was wrong. Never saw that verse like that. And uh, there's an element of that. And it's not 100%, but there's an element of that. And studying these things. So grab your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be talking about these things. Just trust the Lord has given you a good day today. Hope that you found a place to worship. Of course, if you're in York, South Carolina, or within 100 miles of us, you ought to drive to Liberty Church and allow God to minister to your heart there. Uh, services at 9 and 11. And so, but glad you're watching this video. And make sure that if you watch it, that you comment and let me know you watched it. And uh, something that God gave you out of it, it's encouraging to me. I'm teaching to an iPhone and can't always see or hear what God is doing. So if this is a blessing to you, please let me know about it because that encourages me. So we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. And as you know, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul in response to a letter written from the church at Corinth where they asked him some questions. And Paul was dealing with these questions that they asked him. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with about eight different enemies of the church and we have dealt with many of those enemies and we find ourselves today dealing with enemy number six the enemy of disorderly conduct and paul is going to address two issues of disorderly content conduct in the book of first corinthians in chapter 11 and in 12 and going forward on through there but in chapter 11 he is talking about the well, the two enemies he's talking about is the role of women in the church i know I know, I know, we'll get to that. And the abuse of the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, or the Lord's table, whatever they might call it at your church. It's where we remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ by partaking in the juice and the bread, which is representative of his death and the blood that he shed. And so Paul is dealing with these two areas. And the first one he addresses in chapter 11 is the role of women in the church. And uh, I know that this is a touchy subject, especially in our day. But the Bible does give us some guidance. And I would just remind you, too, that what the Bible gives us sometimes is culturally relevant in such a way that it becomes difficult for us to apply it in our day. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the parts about a woman praying with her head uncovered and if she doesn't, it's like she's shaven and these things. It's hard for us to relate to that because we didn't live in Corinth, and we didn't live in a place where at church there were temple prostitutes that shaved their head, which was an expression of their availability for worship, so to speak. And so it's hard for us to understand these things. But the principles that Paul is teaching carry over regardless of the cultural circumstances. And we're going to look at those principles and maybe surprise you just a little bit. Now, historically, there have been three positions in regards to the role of women in the church. The first is, is that women can hold any place of authority in the church. There is absolutely zero restriction. And probably if you look around, a lot of your Methodist churches, some Pentecostal churches hold this particular position. And then there are those who say that women can hold no place of authority in the church. I mean, they can't teach Sunday school. Some of them will let them on the platform. And some of your Plymouth brethren, some of your 
conservative Presbyterians, some of your strong, independent, fundamental Baptists hold this position. And then there are those who say that women can hold some position because the sovereign God can do whatever he wants with his creation. But it's generally the exception and not the rule. Those are historically the three positions. I'm going to talk about each one of them, show you some things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and kind of make application and tell you where I stand on that. Now, the first one, I want to go through each one of these. Make sure I get my slides up so you can see them. All right. The arguments against the fact that a woman can hold any position in the church is that the general emphasis of the Bible from start to finish is that God uses male leadership. Now, I'm just here to remind you that I'm not against women. I'm just saying God created you for a different role. And it would be ridiculous for me as a man to try to fulfill the role of a woman that God has called to do and gifted to do. And it's ridiculous for her to try to fulfill mine. It's just two different roles. One is not subservient to the other. It's just a different role. And so uh, historically, the emphasis of the Bible is male leadership. When God called the group to himself to start essentially the church, depending on how you hold your doctrine, all of them were men. All of the apostles were men. I know that Mary and Martha and these individuals hung around on the peripheral and were intimate with Jesus, but when he called the 12 to start things, they were all men. And when he wrote the Bible, all of the authors were men. Even the books about women are written by men. And uh, so that position kind of leaves us looking at that women can hold any position at, with some suspect. And then the past history of the church shows us that for the 1900 years the church has been in existence, female leadership has been the exception. It has not been the rule. And so to say that women can hold any position, there's no restriction whatsoever on that, mm, precedent is against you. All right? Then the second position, under no circumstances can any woman hold any position let me just show you some things that are against this. Now, you thought I was just going to get all over this and say, yes, bless God, that's it. It's, uh-uh. Now, I want to show you this verse. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. So, Brother Dusty, what does that mean? I'm not getting into the shaven part right now. I, I want you to get the part... That I, all of my life I read so fast that I did not understand what the verse was saying. It said if a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, that it's like she was shaven or like she was a temple prostitute. All right? But back up. It says that if a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. Now, when I say the word prophesy in 2020, which is the year I'm teaching these classes in, Everybody thinks of the term in the sense of predicting the future. You're going to give a prophecy, and the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But I want you to understand that it is without dispute that in the Bible, prophecy carries, especially in the New Testament, carries two different variations of meaning. All right, Prophecy essentially means declaring the word of the Lord. Now, sometimes that word is prophetic in the sense that it is making a prediction, and we call that foretelling, F-O-R-E. T-E-L-L-I-N-G, foretelling, telling the future. But prophecy also, prophesying also means declaring the word of the Lord in forth, F-O-R-T-H, telling, proclaiming what God has declared. And if you look in the Old Testament, the prophets of God were both foretellers and forthtellers. They told the people what God wanted them to know. Sometimes it was a prediction, but oftentimes it was not a prediction. It was just thus saith the Lord. 
And so if you look in the New Testament, whenever we see the word prophesy, we understand that it carries the idea of proclaiming the word of the Lord. Now, because of my position on the spiritual gifts, I believe that the foretelling, F-O-R-E, the ability to predict the future, is a rare phenomenon indeed. All right? It's not something that we use because we have the word of God. Excuse me. <coughs> we don't foretell so much anymore. But there's a whole lot of foretelling. In fact, Paul says that one of the greatest gifts that a man can have is to prophesy. Preach. Yeah. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, it says if a woman prays or preaches with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. Now, forget all about what the dishonoring her head and the shaving part means. What is the verse stating? It's stating that there are requirements for a woman when she prays publicly and when she preaches. That's what it's saying. And if that just tears you all up and messes up the doctrine that you grew up under, then just read the verse, all right? Because this is the only thing I have to stand on, all right? And it's my duty as a preacher and my duty as a human being, as a father and a husband, to try to interpret the Word of God as I see fit. And it's in the Bible, all right? And I love it when the Bible just tramples to death things that I have held dear all my life and um, just cuts across these things. And I see things I have never seen before. I, I love that because it helps me because it know, draws me closer in line with what the Lord wants me to know. So the position that a woman can never hold a position of authority in the church is a contradiction of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. And whatever that does to your church doctrine, fix it. All right? Because that's the verse. All right? And that's really the only thing you have to stand on. Secondly, let me say that that position limits... The sovereign God and the use of spiritual gifts. So, Brother Dusty, do you believe a woman can preach? Well, this verse says she can. Have you ever heard a woman preach? I have. I have. Yeah. I, I was in a conference not long ago. I'm admitting this publicly. Not locally. I was out of town and went to a conference, and they had male speakers and female speakers. And you can tweak the word preach all you want to, but a woman was standing up expositing from the word of God to 3,000 people. So whatever you want to call it. Now, she didn't necessarily go into all the dramatics that we sometimes associate with preaching. Maybe she was more teaching, but all that is just semantics. She was standing up in front of a group of people, and she was presenting the Word of God, and she convicted my heart. Not about women preachers, but boy, she was preaching. I had to get around with God about some things, and so it was evident to me that whether or not I agreed or disagreed with the fact that she was allowed to preach, God had given her some gifts. God had blessed her, and she was speaking to my heart, and God used it to convict me. Now, I just remind you that sometimes we often take God's use of something as God's approval of something, and that's an error. Lots of times God has used things that he does not necessarily agree with, right, because he desires to accomplish his purposes and his goals going forward, and it's not a justification of that particular act, all right? Did God use the fact that Judas portrayed Jesus? Absolutely. Did God approve of the fact that Judas portrayed Jesus? No, he did not, all right? And even though he was doing, Judas was doing it in the perfect will of God, Judas still stood for his own decisions. And so don't always look at something, well, God's blessing them, it must be right. Not necessarily. Always use this book as your guideline. But I would remind you that if you say, this can never happen, a woman can never preach, that you're limiting God's sovereign will. He might let one, and he's not going to contradict his word anyway. And it limits the use of spiritual gifts, because there are some women I know who are great teachers and preachers. They, they have the ability, so be careful about these things. And then 
the, the position that a woman can never hold a position of authority limits the practical effects of the spreading of the gospel all around the world, all right? Uh, there are places and times where there are no men. Nobody to do it, and a woman can. And it shows women around the world that, hey, God has purposes and plans for all of us, and that all of us are equal in his sight. And then past history. If you look in the Bible, did God ever use a woman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He used Deborah, and he used Ruth, and he used Esther. And you go to the New Testament, Phoebe uses the word of being a deaconess. Same word, deacon, servant, same word. Aquila and Priscilla taught people the word of God. So God does use women. It's clear in scripture. And if you look back through history, God has used many women. So to say that it's absolutely forbidden for women to be in a position of authority, <clears throat> I don't think that's correct biblical position either. All right? I don't think the one that says women can do anything. It doesn't matter. There's no difference between a man and a woman in, in a role of authority in the church. I, I don't think that position is clear. I hold the third position. I hold the third position. The third position is this. Although the sovereign God may call a woman to a place of leadership, it is an exception. It is not the rule. All right? So I, there are certain dangers for me as a man in certain areas of my life just because I'm a man and I'm not necessarily equipped to do this particular thing. And then when a woman assumes that leadership, there are certain dangers for her as well. And I believe that the Bible teaches that a woman can, can, can preach and do things, but it has to be under certain conditions that Paul lays down for us in 1 Corinthians 11. If you don't agree with me, just argue with me from the Bible, all right? Don't tell me what somebody else said. Just show me from the Bible. That's, that's our rule and our guide. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5 is... Very clear. And then I want to show you one other passage that helped me. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And you really should turn there uh, if you're with me. Verses 26 and 27 and 28. Paul is talking. He said, For ye, all, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It is difficult to make differentiation between genders and certain roles in the church when Paul is clearly stating in the book of Galatians that in Christ the racial, the national, and the sexual gender divisions have all been broken down. We are all one in Christ. How far do you take that? Now, there are certain roles in the Bible where it's obviously talking to women as a wife and the husband, the man as the husband. So those positions are still there. So how far do you take the fact that there is no male or female in Christ? I don't know. But you can't violate 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, however you take it. You say, Brother Dusty, Brother Dusty, the preacher's got to be the husband of one wife. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to deal with some of those verses that talk about the women being silent in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And in 1 Timothy, we're going to talk about all of that. I'm not skipping over those verses. I just want to give you the basis of my position before we go forward because it's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures. And um, when it talks about the husband and one wife, we'll deal with those things as well. And um, when we get to those passages of scripture, and they're not without value. I'm not brushing all of that aside. But I want you to get that in the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you need to read it. I do not have time to read it to you in my 30-minute segment of Bible study. 
you need to read it. Understand that the women wore veils in this particular community as a sign of ladylike feminine subjection, all right, in this culture. All right? I do not believe that it is God's will for women to wear veils nowadays because 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that her hair is her covering, all right? And then he said, wear a veil. Otherwise, if you don't wear a veil, you look or could be interpreted if your hair was shorter like one of the temple prostitutes. And once again, that has no relation in our culture, but it did in Paul's. So what Paul is trying to say is that when a woman prophesies or prays, she should do so in subjection to her head, not her literal head, but the one that she is in subjection to. And that is whom? That is her husband, all right? And he's in subjection to Jesus Christ. And so if she teaches or preaches, she should do so in subjection to her head. In other words, all right, her husband is involved in these decisions. It's not just her out on her own. It is part of the church hierarchy. You have the pastor, you have Christ, the pastor, her husband, and she's in line with all of those things. And Paul is stating that she needs to do so if she preaches or prophesies, prays, she should do so without her head being uncovered. In other words, she should be in submission, all right? He's taking a cultural application and illustrating the fact that if a woman preaches or prays in church, she should do so with the right spirit in subjection to the people that God has called her under, all right? And I've heard many women, people come at them about certain things, and I read one of them, and she made this perfect response. She said, what I'm doing is in subjection to my husband and to my pastor. And so therefore, I don't feel I have an issue with it. And that's exactly what this passage is teaching. And then it teaches us that her, when it talks about her head being shorn and these kind of things, that there ought to be a difference, a visual difference between her and the women of the world. That's what Paul is saying. He said if he, she gets up to pray, she gets up to prophesy, she should do so. Did I not go through all of these? Yeah. She should do so in such a way so that her attitude is one of subjection and humility to her husband. And there's a marked difference in her lifestyle and dress publicly than, the, than a woman of the world. But that's what he's saying. Those are the two principles that guide us. But to say so, to say that she is unable to preach or to teach is a contradiction of this particular passage of Scripture. Now, now please understand. This whole attitude of subjection and um, men having their wives in subjection. These guys. I, I grew up in a, a, a culture, not my, my not my dad, but in particular churches where this was taken almost to a level of abuse. Abuse, right? Because when a wife is supposed to have her head covered, it's more than her wearing a hat or a veil. Those are, I've seen many women with hats and veils on who are not in subjection. To their husbands. They were not yielded to those things. And just remember that subjection does not mean inferiority. It just means that God has called you to serve in this position. In this position. Um, one of those things that I've had to learn is that if you ever come to Liberty Church, I'm, I'm not the guy. We have a lead pastor. And one of the things I have to learn to do is subject myself to his authority because this is where God has called me to serve. So, Brother Dustin, is that easy? No, no, I'm an arrogant man. And I'm five foot five, so I got that short thing going for me. My Napoleon syndrome. I'm, mm, I always got to show and go submit, submit, submit. We don't like it. But everybody in their life has somebody they got to submit to, all right? 
everybody. And wives are supposed to submit themselves to their husbands, all right? But husbands, let me talk to you. This is not some demonstration of your power to cover up your inferiority complex. If you treat your wife that way, you are sorry and low down. You're going to love her as Christ loved the church. And if you love her like that, she won't have any problems submitting to you. You won't have to remind her that she has to submit if you love her like Christ loved the church. And you lay down your life for her, which means you put her desires and her interests before your own. And if you walk around like you're the tyrant of your house, you're a little tyrant indeed. And a worthless individual, and you're just covering up the fact that you got your own issues. And I know a whole lot of you out there, oh, I can almost go down and call it my name, where I have seen men talk bad about their women, put them down in public, act like they're strutting around like some kind of little rooster, a little bantam rooster at that, because they're the head of their house, they rule their house. Oh, hogwash. That's not how Christ acted. That's not how he acted at all. Humbled himself, became a servant. And you know what you should do? Go home and serve your wife. That's what being a leader really means. Not walking around holding everybody in subjection while it's your will and your way at the house. I was that way for a long time. I apologize to my children and uh, those who've had to live with me when I acted that way. All right? Real leadership is service. Lay down your wife, life for your wife and your kids. Serve them. Put their needs before your own. She won't have any trouble submitting to you. She won't. But wives, you are called to submit to your husband. And if God calls you and gives you the opportunity to teach, to preach, or to pray publicly in a church somewhere, while that is not necessarily the rule, it is perfectly allowed. Make sure you do so with the right attitude towards your husband and toward the pastor of that particular church. And that you act right out of it so that you are different from the world. That's the position of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. When we get to heaven and you see that I'm right, I will rub it in. Yes, I will. Maybe. All right. So there's some other verses that we need to look at before we finish. Let me check my time here. I've got a little bit of time. We can get to it. First Corinthians chapter 14. I can't wait till we get to this chapter because we're going to talk about speaking in tongues. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about that. We always take chapter 13, the great love chapter, and lift it out of First Corinthians and miss the total context. Of what he's talking about in chapter 12 and in chapter 14. You should go back and read those things. And I hope you're reading 1 Corinthians. You'll get a whole lot more out of it if you do so. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, he makes this statement. Let your women keep silent in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak. For they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Okay. Now, anytime we find a passage of scripture like that, we have to understand what is absolutely clear before we move into the areas that are not absolutely clear. What is absolutely clear? That whatever he means in 1 Corinthians 14, and it cannot be a contradiction of what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All right. Because in 14, he says a woman can't speak in the church. It's a shame for her. Then why in chapter 11 did he say, if she prays or prophesies, let her do so with her head covered? Why would he contradict himself? He didn't. All right? So let's understand what he means because the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is clear that there is that possibility that she may pray and she may prophesy. And so when we move into chapter 14. What does it mean when it says, let her be silent in the church? Please understand. We have to go to the context of the passage and we have to look at the cultural application. The context of the passage is, is that he's talking about speaking in tongues. All right? If you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he gives us about five or six different guidelines that are to govern the gift of tongues. All right? 
They are. They're to govern. And one of the guidelines is that women are not to be speaking in tongues. And we'll get to all of that. And I know that's going to shake up some of you with the Church of God or Pentecostal background, but that's what he says. All right? But what he's trying to avoid is that the women are not to speak out in the churches in such a way as to disrupt the order and cause the confusion that he just talked about in verse 33. Because you know 34 follows 33. Deep Bible truth, all right? So if you're reading 34, make sure you back up and read 33. Guys, not the author of confusion. Let the woman be silent in the church, okay? Understanding their culture. Women and men did not sit together, all right? Two groups, women and men, all right? And sometimes what used to go on in the heathen temples, which was the mass confusion of people talking and laughing and the drunkenness and all the immorality and all that stuff, some of that disorder got carried over in the church, and a woman would just holler out and ask her husband something she didn't understand. And said, whoa, 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 don't, don't be speaking in church. Don't be talking. Ask him at home. Don't ask him publicly in the church. Don't be hollering out. And so what Paul is trying to dissuade the people from doing is to bringing in that wild confusion that's going on out in the world like in some kind of public festival and bringing some order into the church. All right. Now, I'm all for worshiping. I am, but I've seen some churches where they need to bring some order because it just got plumb wild and a lot of stuff was attributed to the Holy Spirit that I, I don't think it was him at all. I don't think it was. We humans can get emotionally all twisted up and God not be in it at all. And all you have to do is watch some things that have nothing to do with God. You see that's a verifiable fact, all right? But Paul is trying to bring some order in these things and he was just reminding the women that, hey, don't be asking your husband publicly, hollering out, don't speak in the service. He's not talking about standing up speaking. He's talking about don't holler out and speak during the service because God is not the author of confusion. Don't jump up and stand and speak in tongues. Talk to your husband about these things. Be in subjection to your head. And the word there, speak, is not the normal Greek word. It is the word to babble. That's what he's using, babbling. Because he's talking about tongues. And he's talking about in the church setting. All right? And so you cannot use 1 Corinthians chapter 14. To contradict 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All right? And I've heard men all the women keep silent in the church. You know, that's what's talking about. Be careful, fellas. Be careful. Apply that verse out of context. You don't even understand what he's talking about when you say those things. And so, therefore, Paul is trying to bring order in the church. And that is not a prohibition or a violation or a contradiction of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is the other place. All right? Let me find that. I'm going to have to stop for today, I think. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Back up to verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, for I suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you suffer authority over the man but to be in silence. All right? What do we clearly know? We clearly know that 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not a contradiction of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. It is difficult for a woman to pray in public and prophesy in public if she's not allowed to speak. All right? Can't. So what does he mean in this? He simply means that a woman is not to teach in the sense of having dominion over a man. She's to teach in the subjection to her head, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. If you take that principle, which he gives us in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, and you apply it across the board, it's an easy application. And she simply means that she's not to teach in the sense of authoritative teaching. All right? She's not giving the final word from God. Now let's just be clear. All right? I'm not trying to be sexist at all, but any knucklehead in the world knows that men and women are different, all right? We approach things differently. We think differently, all right? 
A man normally thinks in a cold, hard, logical, line-upon-line kind of way. But a woman is emotional, and she sees things from a different way. And she's more concerned about the feelings and the touchy part. And my word, do we need that in our homes, all right? What kind of cold, callous places would our homes be if men ran everything, all right? Children need mothers. There's a reason why, all right? And I happen to be teaching this lesson on Father's Day. And while Father's Day is a wonderful day, it ain't near what Mother's Day is because people love their mamas because of the emotional attachment. And because of the differences in the way we are geared, all right, you don't find a whole lot of female theologians, all right? Because building doctrine is line, 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 logic, 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 and it, it just doesn't fit that way. But you find a whole lot of women who write books about having relationships with God and about the love of God and the intimacy of those things. And you have you have the the, the mystic of the of, of the of the female side of it, and then you have the cold doctrine of the men side of it, and those two go together to form a more perfect union. All right, they do. They're what you gotta have both parts. Right? But understand that when he's talking about these things, that the woman, when she teaches, don't make it an authoritative sense. Right? Because her approach is different. Don't teach in such a way as to be the final word on something. All right? It is in the, the combination of being in subjection to her husband, not teaching in authority over the man. All right? Because if it means that she's not allowed to talk at all in church, how far do you take that? Do you make your women be silent from the moment they get out of the car or walk in the church? Keep their heads down. Oh, yeah. Just rule over them. When you violate 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, if you interpret it that way, because it says they can pray and prophesy in public, just do so in subjection to her head. Now, remember, the whole tenor of 1 Corinthians is that we are to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ, men and women. Submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. And if you do those things, submission to the lesser head is no difficulty if you're submitted to the greater head, all right? Men, you have no trouble submitting to the pastor that God calls you to serve under if you're submitted to the Lord, all right? You won't. Wives will have no trouble submitting to your husbands if you're submitted to the Lord, right? Because he's the main head, and we are under him. And God finds a place for every one of us to find our role in submission to his leadership and lordship in our life, all right? If you have questions about these passages... I can talk more in detail. Can't get into the minutia of all of that in the brief time that we have together. But I hope that you will study. Do not take what I say as the word of God. Read the word of God for yourself. Every man is flawed in their understanding. Every single one of them has some kind of issue. All right, And the only way you can withstand and not allow that error into your life is for you to get the word of God yourself. And if you find a verse of scripture that proves me absolutely wrong, please tell me about it. I'd be gladly, I'd gl be glad to take that correction from you. Just do so in the right spirit. And make sure you back it up with the Word of God. If it's just your opinion, well, we know where all of that ends up. All right, all of us have one, and uh, it's not always right. So if this has encouraged you in any way, do something for me. All right, like the video, and then share the video. Most of all, thank you for watching. This is Rooted. I'm Pastor Dusty from Liberty Church in York, South Carolina. Have a good day.